Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. This is a heavy passage. Yeah? The first servant was forgiven the equivalent of millions of dollars. There's no way he's going to be able to repay it. And he wouldn't forgive his servant just a couple hundred dollars. The hypocrisy is real. And the other servants saw it and reported to the master. I mean, this guy gets forgiven, but he won't forgive. Instead of allowing the goodness of his master to overwhelm him, he subjects his own servant to his own evil. I hate hypocrisy. Does it drive you crazy? It drives me nuts. And it's easy to see it. It's easy to read this passage and say, man, there it is, black and white. There's nothing worse than someone getting a break like this guy and then not extending it to his own servant. And we all know people like this, don't we? I mean, we could spot a hypocrite a mile away, right? And we could see the damage that they do, and the impact is heartbreaking. We are, however, less aware of the ways in which we do it ourselves. This is something that the people outside the church point out about us. They call us hypocrites, which, frankly, is pretty true sometimes. It isn't always fair but it can be true. We talk about the love of God. We talk about the grace of God and we talk about the mercy of God and then turn around and have trouble giving those things away as if they were meant for just us. Or we live lives that say we believe in these things about God and tell others about His goodness, but do not avail ourselves of His mercy. 
The master had pity on his servant and forgave him. That is mercy. Mercy is undeserved compassion. It's pity when no pity has been shown. It's having a debt that you can't pay forgiven and paid by someone else. Mercy is different than grace. Grace is undeserved favor. It's getting what you don't deserve. And mercy is the withholding of a just punishment. It's not getting what you deserve. Peter Kreeft, by way of Peter Smith, says this. Mercy goes beyond justice. It doesn't just undercut it. If I forgive you the $100 debt you owe me, that means I must use $100 of my own to pay my creditors. I can't really make you $100 richer without making myself $100 poorer. If the debt is objectively real, it must be paid. And if it is my mercy that repays your debt, I must pay it. That is the reason why Christ had to die. Why God could not simply say, ah, forget it. Instead, he said, forgive it. And meant that if we do not pay it, he would pay it himself. The debt has to be paid, just not by you. Mercy is one of the most important aspects of God's character and our lives in Christ. It is chiefly displayed in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's called for numerous times during our service and liturgy here at Living Faith. If you you listen carefully, you will hear mercy repeated over and over and over again in our Sunday morning worship service. And the New Testament is full of it. In Matthew 9, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he says, those who are well are not in need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means, he says to them. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. And he's quoting from Hosea 6.6, which is calling people to repentance. I want your hearts, not your acts. In Luke 6, Jesus says, But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. In other words, be like who we say God is. Romans 2, which we covered earlier. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God's kindness leads to repentance. He continues to show His kindness and His mercy and His grace over and over and over with the hopes that and with the aim that we would change. 
Further in Romans, it says, God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. Romans 11, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Let me keep going. It's all over in the New Testament. We could go to James chapter 2. For judgment without mercy goes to the one who has shown no mercy. Why? Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So why all this talk about mercy? It's because our passage comes on the heels of a very important petition. And depending upon the the translation you use... um, Paul has said, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God or in view of the mercies of God or because of the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So it's, it's with the idea that God is merciful and that He's been merciful to you and that He's paid a debt that you cannot pay, then live a certain way. Do not be like this world. Be transformed. So he says, love must be sincere. Why? Because the world's love isn't. And lacking sincerity in love doesn't point to who we say Jesus is. And he says, hate what is evil. Why? Because the world tinkers with evil doesn't hate it. It plays with it. It doesn't reject it. Keeps it at maybe arm's length. Cling to what is good. Why? Because the world doesn't cling to what is good. We have to be the the caretakers of that. Be devoted to one another in love. Why? Because the world won't. And he's not just talking about families. He's talking about us as a church body or us as Christians even, to say we have to be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Why? Because the world won't. You will not see the world honoring you the way that God wants us to honor one another. Never be lacking in zeal. And serving the Lord. Why? Because lukewarm sucks. It's not acceptable to God. Be joyful in hope and patient in affliction and faithful because we know there is more to this world now and in the next. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Why? Because the world is selfish and we're not supposed to look like the world. Be transformed. Practice hospitality. Why? Because you've got to clean up your houses every once in a while. 
Thank you. I was really... The first service got that way faster than you did. <laughs> Clean up your houses, right? Practice hospitality because people need a place to be and to go. And it makes room in our hearts. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Why? Because God is at work in and through you both to give Him room. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Why? Because being present to one another matters when it's uncomfortable and when it's comfortable. Live in harmony with one another. Why? Because harmony looks like Jesus. And He's given us a ministry of reconciliation. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Why? Because you're not that great. Neither am I. Do not be conceited. Why? Because you're not that great. And neither am I. Do not repay anyone for evil. Because that isn't the gospel. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Why? Because this thing with Jesus is about more than just you and me. So much more. Paul says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, I've not understood the burning coals thing. I don't know if you've ever wondered what that's about, but I'm like, why would I put a bunch of burning coals on somebody's head? And, and the idea I've heard is that, oh, well, it helps them transfer warmth you know, from one fire, carry it to another place. And, and, and I don't think that's what the Scripture is saying here. I think what it's saying is, when somebody gets treated by you, mercifully. It causes them to think differently and to feel a sense of maybe shame or guilt that is a conviction from the Lord. Not, not from the enemy, but from the Lord. Saying, you received mercy, you need to be merciful. God C.S. Lewis says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures and speaks to us in our conscience, but He shouts in our pain. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So the burning coals can be a way in which God can reach somebody. We don't pile them on to laugh at them. It isn't so that they get what they deserve. We read in Ezekiel 33, it says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God is not sitting there with lightning bolts like Zeus waiting to zap people who screw up. He's wooing us 
And he's wooing people that you don't like. He's wooing them to come to him, to receive the mercy that he has, to to, to take up the grace, to come before him and, and be loved by him. And he's longing for people to repent. He's pouring this out. He's saying, repent before it's too late. It's a loving withholding of punishment and a call again and again and again to return to him, to soften our hearts, to get it right before it's too late. This long list of admonitions is to live in light of mercy, in view of God's mercy, but they are also mercy themselves. So it's a way to receive God's mercy, but then actually to give it away. And why should we behave like this? Because it is our chief duty to be filled with the Spirit and represent Jesus to a world that doesn't know the love of the Father. And I want to say this again. It is our chief duty to be filled by the Spirit and represent Jesus to a world who doesn't know the love of the Father. Because we have been forgiven much, we're to behave this way. And I know, I know I've been forgiven much. I met, a, I met a little boy one time. He said he had sinned twice. I was like, I, I need to be more like you. You're good at this. I've been forgiven so much. My guess is that you have been too. Maybe not. And each day brings a deeper awareness of just how great a debt I owe and how much has been forgiven. Every day. And God is willing and able to remove the debt that we have and remove the guilt that we have. He's willing and able to forgive. He's willing and able to demonstrate His love. He's willing and able to show you and me mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy. You only have to say yes to Him. And it's yours. Say yes to His willingness to be merciful to you. Say yes to your desire and His desire to free you from your debts. And you may have never done that. You may be here this morning and don't know Jesus. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, He will do what He says. And He is who He says He is. And you may be sitting here this morning and you're a practiced Christian. And you know what the mercy of God is like. But you're not giving it away. This is for you then, too. What is the only proper response to such generosity from God? Well, it's joy, right? It's humility. It's, it's grace. It's, it's patience. It's compassion. It's mercy. And, and these are the characteristics of people who've been forgiven much. It's the character of God in Christ, and it's cultivated in us as we plumb the depths of His mercy and grace for us, and as we seek to reveal Him to those around us. 
We behave like this because we are Christ's ambassadors, representing him to a foreign land as diplomats, showing a foreign people what our king and our kingdom is like. When we insist on looking like the world, repaying evil for evil, when we don't hate evil but we abide by it, when we treat one another with carelessness instead of devotion, when we don't bless but we curse, we paint a picture of our king and what our kingdom is like. And it's not right. It's not right. This is why the world rejects the church so often. We don't look like the one we say we believe in. Brothers and sisters, for the love of God, in view of His mercy, please receive the mercy of God this morning. Please take it. Take from Him the great gift He offers you and me. Allow it to transform you and shape you here and now in this world, not just for heaven. When we do this and we live in light of God's mercy, we act in mercy. And we know that people will turn to God. Why? Because it's God's kindness that leads people to repentance. It's not our righteous judgments upon them. People run to God when they're treated like this. And so do you and I. People turn to God when they're treated like this. And so do you and I. And people know who God is when they're treated like this. And so do you and I. And people can see the difference between the world and the church when they are treated like this. Well, one of the questions you may be asking is, what will happen if I forgive as I have been forgiven? I mean, who's going to make them pay for what they did? What will happen if I have mercy on people and they take advantage of me? What will happen if, if, if God doesn't do what I think God should do with them? Well, there's a number of scriptures that I could point to to answer those questions, like Jonah and others. It is God's desire to have mercy. And our hearts need to be the same as His. When we have fear about behaving like Christ and what God will do with that, we need to bring it to Him. I'm afraid I'll be taken advantage of. Yeah. You should bring that fear to Christ. I think He knows something about that. Well, I'm, I'm afraid somebody's going to run roughshod over me. You need to bring it to the one who said, behave this way. I'm afraid of exposing my sin to God. He already knows. Bring it to Him. I'm afraid of facing the guilt that I have, or maybe you've avoided a bill for a long time because you didn't want to look at how bad it was. Bring it to Him. He knows. Search your hearts this morning.
Ask God to reveal to you ways in which you may be taking His mercy for granted. Call upon Him for forgiveness and ask Him to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you may live out the life He has called you to live. When the church looks like the world, there's nowhere for people to turn. And when our quest for justice looks like vengeance, there's nowhere for the world to turn. When we no longer trust that God will judge, we become judgmental. And God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but longs for people to repent, and so must we. It is our chief duty to be filled with the Spirit and represent Jesus to a world that does not know the love of the Father. That is how we live in Christ. This is how we live in mercy. And this is how we are not overcome with the world's evil, but overcome evil with good.